This week marks the first appearance here on The Reel by one of our film critics, the esteemed Mr. Kenneth Duran, whose grasp of film history and context is a gift to readers and to us here in the office. He joins film reporters Jen Yamato and Amy Kaufman to talk about the new version of A Star is Born, directed by, co-written by, and starring Bradley Cooper, along with a dramatic performance by Lady Gaga in a role previously played by no less than Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand. Depending on how you classify 1932's What Price Hollywood, this is either the fourth or fifth telling of the story, and we talk about how A Star is Born isn't so much a story set in Hollywood as it is the story of Hollywood itself. Can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Tell me something, girl. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they liked the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. A Star is Born, the new iteration of a saga as old as Hollywood itself, uh, this time starring Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And joining me to talk about the movie this week, I have... Jen Yamato. Hey, hey, Amy Kaufman. This is Kenneth Duran not singing. <laughs> Kenny, we're extremely excited to have you here this week. This is your first appearance here on our little show, The Real. And you reviewed the new version of A Star is Born for the paper. So maybe as a way to kind of start the conversation, you can kind of talk us through your impressions of how it stacks up to the previous versions. I mean, this is a, a story that there's been three previous versions of A Star is Born. And then there was also the film What Price Hollywood, which many feel is sort of like the true origin of this. Like to you, is the new movie even in conversation with those older films? Yeah, I think so. I think it's very aware of the older films, and it's trying to do its own version of them. I mean, the key to these things always is the casting. And I think Judy Garland and James Mason made that 54 version. That's the paradigmatic one. And I think the casting here is terrific. I mean, I think Lady Gaga, who no one knew if she could act or not, and I think it's been pretty oh, universal. Knew. Did Penny you really knew. know? Did you really know? I well, didn't doubt her. Well, I think she really appreciates your steadfastness, Amy. Kenny, what's your favorite Lady Gaga song? You know, I'm not a big, you know, I, I think my favorite Lady Gaga song is the song she sings in the movie. Oh, because shallow. I, oh, yeah, I have not followed, you know, I would be lying if I said I followed her career closely. Obviously, I know who she is. You can't be a citizen of the planet without knowing who she is. But I have not followed her music. But I thought Shallow was terrific. Are you inclined now to go back and listen to more Lady Gaga songs? Because we have some recommendations. For <laughs> I would you. like some recommendations. No, I mean, because she's, you know, her voice is incredible. I mean, there's no two ways about that. And now, Jen, with this new version of the movie, you know, it's about sort of a soulful country rock superstar, Jackson Maine, played by Bradley Cooper, who finds this young girl, Allie, uh, singing in a in a drag bar one night. And then he sort of like helps her on her way to be the star she was always destined to be. And a lot of the conversation about this movie has to do with, is this a movie for right now? Like, what, like the idea that, what's your impression of what this story has to say to 2018? Well, I love the 1954 Judy Garland version of A Star is Born. It is one of my favorite movies. So I've been skeptical, honestly, of uh, another remake for a long time. And I was skeptical right up until Bradley Cooper's A Star is Born made me weep in my seat uncontrollably. And I think that it is updated in really interesting ways for our times. There's a lot of interplay, as we'll probably get into, between 
pop music and country music. There's a lot of interesting gender power dynamics going on in this relationship, as has always baked into the A Star is Born formula, which is one star is born while another flames out in magnificent fashion. And it's always the man in the relationship who starts out, you know, more established and helps this younger woman artist find her inner flame and help her on to be, as you say, the, the star she was always meant to be. But on the way, he flames out. And that's sort of the, the consistent formula. And Amy, I remember you watched all the previous versions when you were getting ready to do your interview with Lady Gaga that you did for the movie. And what's your impression of how this version sort of compares or like is in conversation with those earlier versions? Yeah, when I watched the previous three, honestly, I was kind of discouraged. I mean, I understand they were a product of their time. But watching them now, it was like so much that there was this very desperate starlet and the man found her and he basically elevated her to boost his own ego and then when she became more famous than him he couldn't deal and his own demons spiraled out of control and i think the way that this 2018 version attempted to sort of like correct for that was that they give a lot more backstory to bradley cooper's jackson maine in that they show you know he's always been troubled he has family issues that come to play he struggled with addiction long before he meets Allie. And so it's not really that he's jealous of her per se. It's that, you know, he's losing his hearing and like he's having trouble with his brother and like all these things are coming to a head at the same time. So they give us more backstory to not really put it just on like his jealousy of the woman he has elevated. And I think that's one of the things that I found really interesting in the new version is that this idea of sort of tradition versus modernity, I mean, one of Jackson Maine's songs is maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Sing it. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. <laughs> right. And so that I think I that it, I, it, just as you're saying, Amy, that it's interesting to me, and I think it's something that's really smart about the new movie, is that it's not just that he's jealous of her. It's that he's realizing that like his time has passed and that like he's not, maybe he's not made for this world anymore. And Kenny, do you feel like that's something that's present in the earlier versions, like say in the Ma James Mason character in the Garland version? You know, I tell you, it never has felt to me as if the problem is jealous. And it's felt to me, my, my memory of the other films, is that he's very happy. I always felt that he's, you know, the male character is happy for her success. It's just he has his own problems, and the fact that she's successful can't cure those. And no still way, Kenny. No. Remember the scene where, I mean, and there's sort of a version of it in, in this one, too. There's a scene always in them where, they, where the guy comes, the guy is at home because he's lost all his work, basically yeah. can't get a job, and she comes home in the beginning films from like a day on set and later like recording yeah. or something. And he's like tried to make her dinner and she gets a call in the middle of the meal about a career opportunity. And he's like, well, you got another call today. Like, and you know, I answered the phone for you. And then he kind of like flies off the handle yeah. and it like, you get the idea that it is the career stuff. That's. Yeah. I remember that scene. I don't know. I just, it didn't hit me with the uh, ferocity that it hit you. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think both of those things can be true. And I think that we see in the, this version that through the moments when they're sharing music, which is their common bond, they're in many songs co-writing them or, you know, lifting each other up as artists. And I think that music is where they can meet in the middle. And I think that's a really beautiful thing that you kind of get a deeper sense of if you listen to the whole soundtrack. Unfortunately, I don't think you get that sense as much from just watching the movie because the movie edits out 
uh, large oh. portions of many of these songs. It altogether does not include some entire songs that on the soundtrack, if you listen to them all the way through and listen to the lyrics that are obviously written in character, some by both Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, those songs sort of deepen both characters' journeys and they sort of contextualize what both of those people are feeling as their relationship evolves. So huh. I've been listening to that soundtrack like constantly. <laughs> the fact that you only realized it was on Spotify yesterday is like, I'm ashamed to know you. I, Come aren't on. you sad for my life before? <laughs> like Thursday at midnight, girl. Get on like it. Like all those last days. Yeah. Whole weekend. Kenny, you had mentioned in your review that you think one of the best things about the new movie is that it has this kind of old school Hollywood flair to it. And can you talk a bit more about that? In particular, this being the debut for Bradley Cooper as a director. And I mean, I don't know if you feel like he's sort of learned from the work that he's done with Clint Eastwood or like where his sort of like sense of traditionalism is coming from. Well, it's probably innate in him. I mean, he probably grew up liking these old movies, and, you know, they are not being made anymore. I mean, you know, these kind of movies used to be bread and butter. You know, you used to, this is what the studios did day in, day out, and they have kind of abdicated that role. They're not interested in that audience, that kind of, you know, it's a big screen epic romance. That's what this is. And, and with music. With music. I mean, what could be bad about that? You know, but the studios, you know, the money, I don't have to tell anyone around this table or anyone listening, the money is in superhero films, and, you know, the money is in Marvel, you know, there's no money the studios feel in this. So they make these films, but they're not really passionate about them. They don't really have great people making them. And I think this has captivated even critics who wouldn't think it would captivate because it really captures that emotion so well. Again, I'm glad to hear that you, you know, I teared up during the film too. I mean, this is big screen emotionalism. Hollywood used to do this for breakfast and it's <laughs> gone. It's gone. And to see it again, I think everyone's kind of captivated. What? I just want to take another look at you. In all the good times I find myself longing for change. Well, that's one thing I think is interesting as well, is that our esteemed colleague, Kyle Buchanan, at the New York Times, wrote something about how questioning whether the new film should be read as camp or audiences who are trying to read it as camp, in part because there are people who have affection for the 76 version, the Barbara Streisand, Chris Christopherson version, and then also sort of like the cult of Judy Garland, but that the new movie is so sincere and so genuine, it kind of short circuits that. It doesn't allow for a sort of postmodern, ironic take on it. Like, you have to accept this at sort of the face value of its emotions. I think that, I mean, this film is not winking at you. This film is not nudging you in the side. This film is believing in what it's putting on the screen. And that quality of belief is a wonderful thing. Tell me something, Amy. I want to know more about Gaga when you sat down with Gaga. Now that you've seen... Toronto, Venice come and go, after you wrote the first interview with her for the LA Times. Do you feel like everybody is now catching up to like what you knew in your Yeah, I actually like when the interview <laughs> was scheduled, I mean listen, like I would have been excited to interview Lady Gaga for anything, but I kind of did feel like, oh wow, I get to write about her for this movie that is gonna be like a classic. Like I knew that everyone was gonna be obsessed with this. I mean, there was already a lot of buzz and momentum building up to it. And I'd seen a trailer at this like industry convention called CinemaCon in March. And when I saw that trailer, I was it was the same as I felt when I saw a La La Land trailer. It was just like, oh, this is gonna be huge. And it's gonna make a bazillion dollars. Like it's already racked up almost 50 million. And yeah, I mean, 
the press tour itself has been interesting to follow because I think Gaga has been much more open than Bradley Cooper has been. And there was that great profile by Taffy Ackner in The New York Times of Bradley Cooper where they kind of went head to head, you know. And I had been wondering because Gaga, she did a Vogue cover. She did a New York Times magazine cover and she did the Sunday cover of our film sneaks. So those are three really big interviews where she let all the reporters into her house. And while she's different homes, I might add different homes, <laughs> one right? in the Hollywood different Hills. Homes? Oh yes. my God. One in the Hollywood Hills. That was not really where she lives. It's just a studio. I went to her <laughs> real house. But Bradley has been much more circumspect. And he did this New York Times interview where Taffy was like, I thought it was going to be the one because she's such a good reporter, like to get him to talk about how his own addiction was channeled into this role. And he was just like, nope, I'm not doing that. Like, why would I talk about this? Doesn't serve the project. And maybe I'm just putting, you know, I can't take my reporter hat off. So I'm like frustrated for her. But I feel like, how are you going to get through this entire award season without talking in some way about how you drew upon your own personal experience. Right. And he not only directed and starred in it, and I believe made it a little too much about his character. Mm -hmm. He also co-wrote it. Well, I mean, I think that aspect of it, the way in which this is an addiction story is something that's always been on the fringes of the other stories. There's always been certain scenes that deal with that. But I mean, here he's in rehab and his big sort of like awards clip moment is a scene where his character is talking to Ali while he's sort of like at the end of a, of a stint in rehab. And so Jen, what do you think of the way in which Bradley Cooper has obviously put a lot of himself into this story, does not seem to want to talk about it, but is that him simply saying, I talked about it in the movie? I mean, maybe. And to be to be extremely fair, he's very affecting in the movie and his performance I found so moving. He cast his own dog, that floofy little dog. Was that his dog? Yes. Oh my God. I had no I have to see the film again now. I have he no received, idea. He received an animal based award for casting. From PETA. Well, Amy and a wonderful bit of online sleuthing discovered not only a a, a Zillow listing for the actual yeah. house, but then the architect of the house let you know that his family has a dog from the same litter yes. as... So I found... Okay. <laughs> this is like the Twilight Zone. Yes. Any, anyone who's seen this movie, I'm sure you're all going to want to live in Jackson, Maine's house. It's amazing. It's this like wooden Where canyon. Where is it? Amy? Where is it's it? In, um, it's in Montanito, which is like, like 10 minutes from Malibu. It's like Malibu Canyon, kind of between Calabasas and Malibu. If you're wanting to go stock, I can send you the address. But <laughs> I, I tweeted this and a lot of people were excited because they wanted the house. And the architect of the house who also designed, or I don't know if he was the architect of the house, but the guy who lived in the house, who was the architect of the Staples Center, responded and said like, oh my God, after we filmed the movie here, we actually sold the house and moved to New York and the new owners put up a gate. So if you're looking for it from the street, you probably can't see it. But he then said... You know, it was such a great experience, and we have a new member to our family as a result of it, our dog, who is the sister of Bradley Cooper's dog. But now this movie has... They included a picture. ...has already <laughs> inspired this unusual level of truthing about it. That yes. people are really obsessed with the locations, both the f- real places, but also the, geog- right. the, the geography Wait, of Kenny. it. Kenny, yes. where, oh, is, where is this 2018 version of A Star is Born... Set. What city? No. No. no Where is, is Allie and? Oh yeah. Okay. That. That's what. I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where does Allie and her dad live? 
Where do you feel well, like? They, you know, I feel like they live in New Jersey. Oh! <laughs> but probably they don't because it wouldn't make any sense. But he's right. such, you know, so where do they live? Do you guys know where they're supposed well, to live? It, no one no, knows. In the press notes for the film, it specifically says where their house is. It's in Echo Park. It's sort of Echo Park adjacent. So they are clearly East Coast transplants yeah, because, yeah. you know, in the beginning she's working and singing, singing that little bit, which is a nod to Judy Garland yeah, singing yeah. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And the bar where that scene was shot was one of those drag bars very near our former home in downtown Los Angeles. It was? Yeah, because I remember when they were shooting there, they like kind of wandering around a little bit. You could kind of just uh, walk by the set. I love huh. thinking about this kind of stuff, though, because like... Truthfully, you know, I know none of us were L.A. natives or Kenny. No, no, Kenny's not. Definitely not. No. And growing up to me, I mean, if I'm being really honest, like I moved to L.A. because of the images I saw in movies, (laughs) namely My Girl 2, (laughs) (laughs) uh, where they sneak out and go to Grauman's and she puts her hands in Judy Garland's. But like movies like La La Land and movies like A Star is Born are probably really meaningful to people who see representations of LA and like what it looks like and if you saw LA through A Star is Born I don't know what you would see really because it doesn't like say we're in Hollywood no you just see his house I mean you don't see the streets very much as no. I remember you see her billboard on the strip yeah. oh right. Chateau yeah. Marmont yeah. yeah right um I actually like one of my favorite things that I didn't think to place in L.A. when I watched it was when Jackson first in the beginning when he gets in his car after his show and he's being driven around looking for his next drink and the car pulls up and in the the far background you see the billboard with nooses hanging and, you know, like the rainbow flag. So there are a lot of signifiers in that but also foreshadowing. And I was I was trying to remember, do I remember actual billboards like that? Being up in L.A. at the time they were shooting, was that a, ha- a, a lucky huh, accident or was yeah. it just extremely brilliant outdoor <laughs> advertising, you know, set dressing? I think that's got to be a little piece of production design because I, I can't imagine that kind of foreshadowing would have just sort of like happened by by accident. But why, Jen, do you think that, I mean, both of the locations with the timeline of the movie and also people talking a lot about the film's relationship to the music business and the way that it portrays kind of like the contemporary music industry. Why do you think this movie has immediately inspired this sort of deep dive truthiness that people want from it? Because it's film Twitter, baby. (laughs) Film Twitter, film critics, film journalists obsess over anything that's remotely showbiz related and Star is Born has always been a showbiz story. It's technically, I guess it would be like a backstage musical. So you're Immediately, if you're any anything to do with this industry, I think that you light up at every little bit that you can associate with something that you relate to, either in the music industry or like the pop machine that Ali is plugged into. What your feelings are in that? We all know. Wait, like, let's what, talk about the pop machine. I have yeah. a question about that. Yeah, I felt, and I saw the film twice, and I felt the same way both times. I'm ambivalent about what the film's attitude towards yes. her music is. Yeah. I think the movie is deeply ambivalent yeah. about it. Well, because we never get to hear her say, other than her desire to not have dancers in her act, what she thinks about being turned into a product. She's just like, I don't want to lose my, what does she say? I don't want to lose my, my talent. talent. <laughs> yeah. But um, when Bradley Cooper's character starts to sort of attack the credibility of the stuff she's singing, 
she defends it. And she wins a Grammy singing this stuff that to me doesn't sound as exciting as the stuff that she is abandoning. So I don't understand what the film is trying to tell us there. My feeling of that is that this is just a reminder to me that this is a Bradley Cooper movie, honestly. This movie in the editing, if you think of all the different parts that they filmed all you know all the character arcs and the songs certainly that they took the time to write and record in character as i mentioned before the soundtrack has so much more context into character including the pop songs that ellie sings if you listen to the full version of why did you do that the song that we hear sung oh, why God, did you do that do that that's her Saturday Night Live performance yes by the way the only song on the soundtrack co-written by Diane Warren of all people that's the one that she huh. co-wrote but yes when you hear it in the movie all you hear is this inane sort of repetitive uh, it sounds kind of like a dumb song chorus right and yeah. she's like she's like dancing like a pop star but if you listen to the whole thing the lyrics make more sense to like what Allie is going through. There's another one called Hair Body Face. That's, I don't I hate that one. But it is another one of the pop alley songs on the soundtrack that is about, I don't care what everybody else thinks of my hair, body, and face as long as you think that I'm pretty. But how do those tracks relate or compare to a genuine Gaga track? I think even Lady Gaga is maybe ambivalent about the music, if I'm being honest. Because like when she was in the interview, she was talking so much about how she wanted the um, both the sound and the look of Allie to be different from her. That if you saw Lady Gaga on the screen, she would have failed. So she was like, I didn't want my costumes to be the same. When we had the choreography, even though that was her actual choreographer, she's like, we would go full out and we like really toned it down. And when I was performing, she said she really plays to the audience and she was much more internal. But like, I think the line is a little bit finer than maybe only she would notice. And interestingly, at the end, when I was walking out of her house, she's like, wait, so you didn't think my dancing was bad, did you? And I was like, no, I just thought, you know, I was like, I could notice it was toned down or whatever. It was like, that's, of course, that's the... But it's interesting to me in that, from my own limited understanding of the trajectory of Lady Gaga, is that she's had this, her own turn towards sort of a performative authenticity with the Joanne Project, which was meant to be rootsier and more musicianly. And than- she, she used a lot of the same songwriters in her more country songwriting, song, singer-songwriter songs on this movie as worked on Joanne. Jen, do you think Gaga herself is ambivalent towards the pop songs in the movie? Or you think... I agree with Amy. The pop alley that we see in the movie, I don't see Lady Gaga in. But I do see Gaga in the ballads, especially the ones that she's singing when she's performing and she's playing piano. That's what I feel where the Gaga comes out. There's but who a- is Lady Gaga? <laughs> But seriously, you because like me. she's con- you marry me? Who is she? But her whole thing is to consistently evolve, and like right. right now, the last music we had from her was Joanne. Was this like music akin to the kind of stuff Jackson mm-hmm. sings in the movie? So that's who she is to me. But that's not at all who she's been for like a decade. Right. So she could return to that. I mean, yeah. she's a shapeshifter. Like, but the pop version of Allie is like you said, nowhere near as you know. I think intentionally transgressive as Gaga has been in the past. But there are beautiful ballads on the soundtrack, and I love those. Is that all right? Is, well, that, that, is maybe... that all right? Is Oh, there's a, the other thing. In the soundtrack, if you listen, not to harp on the soundtrack, but there, you get little dialogue snippets, you know, in chronological order that sort of contextualize the songs. And there's 
a scene in the movie where she's where in the dialogue you hear on the soundtrack snippet she's like Jackson I didn't get to say everything I wanted when we made our vows so I wrote the song for you and that song is is that alright so and it's beautiful a little boy a little girl laughing and loving trying to figure out well, let's maybe this is a great moment for us to talk about Shallow, the big sort of powerhouse number from the movie that is so kind of inevitable. I know, Amy, you would talk about how you could hear it in the trailer and you kept listening to just the little like clip that you could hear from the trailer. People were so excited when the song got released. Mm-hmm. And it does, at least at this point, feel like it's going to be kind of an award season monster. And just tell me a little bit about shallow and what that kind of means in the movie and what it means like why people have just gone berserk I was for this trying song to think of like, it is currently the number one song in the country it's the it's soundtrack really? is, the soundtrack is the number one album in the country wow. it's a good song doesn't it that is. matter yeah it's so good <laughs> but i mean i actually feel for people who heard the song before watching the movie because that's the best scene in the movie yeah, is. is when they first sing that together for me and so yeah, it's like I like it more because of its like emotional resonance with the story. But yeah, I'm sure people hearing it just think. But the 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 memeiness of it has to do with this part where she's like like belt. I'll let Jen do it. Where she's like <laughs> belting out this one part, and I don't know why the that parking is lot the scene? parking lot scene that she no, does it. Does you mean it. the ah, yeah yeah that? But I don't know why that is it because it's like so gaga well, if you it's play, if gaga, you play yeah. it on youtube and you have the closed captioning on it just says vocalization how many Vocalese. times have you watched it on youtube mark <laughs> well i watched it once <laughs> and then i watched it again with the closed captioning on to get the lyrics i think but, it's honestly a great song with that hits those like those country um yeah. minor key chords that shoot right to your heart and pull your gut out so there's a lot of like brilliant songwriting and drama honestly no, it's in a the great song. song and you know i love that parking lot scene where i think you get the first smattering of the song because for me not being as you guys not knowing as much about lady gaga as i probably should but it's it's a tribute to how well she has acted this part of someone who's uncertain that when she really lets go in the parking lot the you say oh my god you know, this is an amazing singer. Yeah. And I think she's disguised herself so well that you really are surprised by that. No, yeah, her talent. She's allowed you to forget how good a singer she is. I started writing this song the other day. Maybe that could work, like as a chorus or something. I'm off the deep end Watch as I dive in I never All right, I just got to go on at my a love tangent for a second. Like, I, I, she's such a great star. She's so talented. And this week, she went on Colbert and she talked about her feelings about Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford in a really articulate and emotional way that so few celebrities are willing to do. I mean, this week we heard about Taylor Swift finally, after many years, breaking her silence and um, advocating on behalf of certain political candidates. And like I heard this morning that since doing that, there have already been like 70,000 people who registered to vote. And I have to say, like, that frustrates me because she hid her voice for so long. And Lady Gaga is the antithesis of that. She always puts all her feeling out there in her music and her roles and now using her voice politically. So props to you, Lady Gaga. 
I respect you. <laughs> and Amy doesn't say that about everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but that but that shallow scene in the movie is, as you say, Amy, it is a good scene. Oh, it's a great scene. That's like great cinema right there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I almost forgive Bradley Cooper for, for putting so much emphasis on Jackson Maine and sort of selectively editing out what I think uh, we should hear more of from Allie in the, the third act. I know I don't want to be the big like bring down here, but there has been sort of this increasing pushback against the movie in particular, I think on sort of like a couple different tracks. Our colleague Travelle Anderson has been talking on Twitter about the way in which particularly starting in a drag bar, the character played by Anthony Ramos, who's really Ali's only sort of friend in the movie and whether that character even is meant to be gay and what that sort of means or what the movie does with that. And then just Allie in general, not having female friends, hardly really any friends apart from the Anthony Ramos character and then her father played by Andrew Dice Clay. And Jen, what do you make of that? How do you feel about, I think the movie is so big. Everybody wants everything from this movie. I would agree with that. There's room in this world that has been built in and created in this particular movie for, I think, a lot of dimension because we see shades of that. I don't blame people for wanting more. Same with people who want more nuance from the gender dynamics between the two in the marriage and what it really says in 2018 when you end A Star is Born with, here's a song my husband wrote, which is obviously a callback to I'm Mrs. Norman Maine in, in the previous movies, but is there still room for that to have been done a different way? I think there's a lot of room for all of this. Kenny, we were talking before, there was a, an interesting essay recently by Wesley Morris and also an, another piece that was in the New York Times, another piece by Inku Kang at Slate that was a, sort of a, a response piece to that, that both grapple with what do we want from our movies and our television shows in 2018? And do you feel like when people... Way too much. <laughs> Kenny, do you feel like that? that? That we demand so much now, sort of not just as entertainment, but essentially as politics and representation from movies in 2018, that it's hard for any movie to live up to all the things that we put on them. Yeah, well, I think that's inevitable that it won't, but I think it's a tribute to how well the film is done that people care enough to say they wish there was more. You know, and people are perfectly, you know, these objections sound perfectly legitimate, but I think they come from the fact that the movie gives us so much that people say, well, how come it can't give us this too? You know, and maybe future films will, you know, put more in. Or if a three-hour cut ever comes ah, out, like the Star is yeah, Born yeah. cut that filled in scenes that Kukor originally wanted in that the studio insisted he cut yeah, out, yeah. which is the Blu-ray version if you own Judy Garland version of A Star is Born, you see the whole, like, it was like 180 minutes is his original cut. Yeah, no, there's a lot of, you know, old Hollywood movies that way mm -hmm. that were cut down that, uh, you know, don't make as much sense as they would if you saw the whole version. I mean, The Big Sleep is a famous one that doesn't make any sense in the current version because big chunks of it were taken out because they had to have a, you know, a more draconian, you know, running time. So it'd be great to see the longer version of this. I would see it in a minute. I would too, yeah. I have a question for Kenny. How do you think Gaga stacks up to uh, Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand? Is she the same like kind of star? Like I, f I actually kind of think they're doing different things than she is. Yeah, I just look at how it works in terms of the current film. I mean, I think for this film, no one could be better. I don't know what her future as an actress is. I don't know if she'd want to or be good at playing all kinds of different roles. But in this part, I don't think in this part in this film, I don't see how anyone could be any better. 
And also, I think Gaga's, the fact that she herself seems like she's such a student of show business and of Hollywood, I think she completely understands who Judy is, who Barbara is, but also who Garland is and who Streisand is. She gets the sort of like the split between like the public self, the private self, and that performative self. And so I I, I think, Kenny, like you're saying, Gaga in particular is such a great choice to play this role because she understands that so well. And now there is, of course, this kind of phantom version of the movie where at one point it was going to be directed by Clint Eastwood starring Bradley Cooper and with Beyonce in what has become the Lady Gaga role. Like, how do you, Amy, Jen, how do you feel about that sort of version of the movie? Like, It's sort of lost to the I think it is interesting like that this is a good reminder that when we hear all those rumors along the way, like I for years you'd hear about the potential Stars Born remake by with Beyonce and I was always like there was a lot of negative energy energy around that like oh who wants that like I think even with Gaga and Cooper it was like he's tackling that for his first movie okay good luck and like it turned out amazing so um yeah I mean I think those big announcements there's definitely a tendency to be cynical about them but I got to curb that well, I am always obsessed with the kind of apocryphal story that the 76 version that Barbara Streisand originally wanted Elvis Presley for the Chris Christopherson role. Oh, and right? and this, of course, was very late <laughs> in his career. It's only a year or two before he passes away in 1977. And in my mind, that like alters the space-time continuum. Oh, that somehow God. Elvis like gets himself in shape. It's a, a you know parallel to the 68 comeback no, special. He probably wouldn't have gotten himself he's, in shape. He's still alive today. If he had made that movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Wow. Jesus. Good Lord. I've thought about it. Is that a true story? (laughs) Is that a true story? I mean, I I haven't had an opportunity to ask Ms. Streisand, so I can't say. Well, if she's listening to this broadcast, you should uh, get in touch with Mark and set him straight. Kenny, what did you think of the Barbara version? It's not my favorite. I mean, I I like this one a lot. I like the Judy Garland one a lot. The early, early one, uh, What Price Hollywood, it's fascinating because it's so similar to A Star is Born, so similar that that studio threatened to sue the makers of A Star is Born. They ended up not. And then got the director to direct Judy Garland. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I like this. I like all the versions, but my favorites are the Garland one and this one. Going back and watching the one from the 30s was so interesting to me, like thinking about how the narrative of stars coming to Hollywood, like come to Hollywood and get famous. Like I was like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. this movie really like cemented that as a thing. Like she Mm -hmm. literally gets off a bus and like, you know, lives in a crappy motel and all of those stereotypes like must be related to that film. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) So maybe it's a way for us to kind of wrap up our conversation here about a Star is Born. Jen, you are well known as a fan of the art of karaoke. And I, I want you to give us kind of a karaoke rundown of maybe what you think like the bangers are. What are oh, going to be oh, like the gladly. jams that people are going to hear a lot of? <coughs> Do you think <laughs> will Shallow uh, replace, I don't know, Summer Lovin' as like the new go-to duet for people? Shallow, as soon as Shallow hits karaoke, which it will... People are going to be singing it at every karaoke bar, whether or not they can nail it. And it's a duet. Don't forget. I will be one of those people, so no, you know, like no judgment. Shallow is going to be really popular at karaoke. I think a lot of the ballads will be popular. Like, let's see. I don't know what love is. That one. Amy, what do you think of that one? Yeah, that one's really good. That's a good one. Always remember us this way. Yeah. And then the last song, you know. I'll never love again. I'll never love again is very, very nice. But I think uh, 
What's your favorite? The I'm alone. Uh, look what I found. <laughs> it has the funniest opening lyric. I'm alone in my house. I'm alone in my house. Why is that funny? It's just it's sad. So <laughs> We're alone in this room. I sing that in my car. I sing, I'm alone in my car. And then I'm like, oh, what am I doing? We're captives. We're captives of, you know, this is what Hollywood used to do. It oh, used wow. to captivate people. People used to be the center of the conversation. You know, it has been a while since the film has done that. That's not been a Star Wars movie or a superhero movie. Is it going to win Best Picture, guys? Oh, yeah. It's a good question. I mean, we'll see how it shapes out. We'll see how many nominations it gets. We'll see how many nominations Black Panther gets. We'll see how the art films from the festivals play when they open. You know, the Oscars is a horse race. It depends who else is in there and how strong they are. So it's too early to say. Well, Bradley Cooper, with a, a role in the upcoming Clint Eastwood movie, Mule, as well, he potentially, I think, is it like six nominations or something he personally could get? I mean, theoretically, wow. he could be nominated in Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor in the same year. And best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Director. Producer, Screenwriter. Wow. Most evasive interview. <laughs> uh, he did write co-write some of those. Song, so maybe he could get a song nomination in there. Wow. And so with that, we will wrap up our conversation this week. Jen, tell people where they can find you online. When the sun goes down and the band won't play, (laughs) I'll always remember us this way. Oh, uh, you can find me at Jen. Tearing up just hearing you guys sing it. Amy Canale, and you can find me in Montanito. In the home of Jackson and Allie Main. <laughs> and Kenny, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter. I seem to be on Twitter at Kenneth Turan, <laughs> and I enjoy being there. So happy to be there. And you can find me at Indie Focus. And so for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. What do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? I'm falling In all the good times I find myself longing for change